Well, we hope that that little uh, little riff there by Ayla Brooke and the Soundmen got you going up and at them on this beautiful Monday morning. Welcome to Real Talk, and thanks for being here. I'm Ryan Jesperson. In about 15 minutes' time, we're going to check in with Aaron Elizabeth Ross. Aaron's an Edmonton-based artist who is uh, on the other side, at least generally speaking, of her fight with COVID-19. And uh, she's going to join us here for a few minutes to paint a clear picture of what that fight was like uh, and how many people, I think, may be underestimating this uh, pandemic. We're also going to be checking in today with uh, former uh, federal cabinet minister, uh, infrastructure minister, natural resources minister, Amarjeet Sohi, a former Edmonton city councillor as well. He's going to be teaching a new course, uh, a post-secondary course on uh, racism. And we're curious to know what, what prompted that initiative, what's going to go into it. But of course, when you have a, a former federal cabinet minister here as well, we're going to talk about the federal government's response to COVID-19, the government facing criticism from opposition parties over the weekend, including the conservatives and the NDP for what the opposition is calling a lack of transparency on the the nearly quarter trillion dollars that Ottawa has spent on Canada's pandemic response in the past eight months. Plus, on the provincial political front, uh, former Deputy Premier Thomas Lukasik throwing some hand grenades on Twitter over the weekend following the uh, Alberta Election Commissioner's report that an, a request for an extension of an investigation into the 2017 United Conservative Party's leadership race, that request for the extension was denied uh, the elections commissioner here in Alberta uh, basically saying, hey, listen, this pandemic is basically, this is Glenn Ressler saying, uh, the chief electoral officer, rather, this is standing in the way, the pandemic and other factors standing in the way of of us being able to conduct this investigation in meaningful fashion. We need more time. The provincial government saying no more time. Isn't that a conflict of interest? We'll get into it with Alberta's former deputy premier. Plus, an impromptu edition, because that's the only way it happens, of Hey Neighbor, a segment with our neighbor, Jenny Adams of the Adams Agency. That's coming up in just a second. Some real talk about some real-life stuff that I see going on all around us right now. I need a second opinion on this. First, though, the show wouldn't be here without the support of our presenting sponsor, the Bitcoin Well. We're really excited to be partnering up with Bitcoin Well and super excited about their rebrand. You saw CEO Adam O'Brien on a while ago explaining cryptocurrency to us and, and getting into those details. This is what they do. They make it simple, accessible, easy for you to buy and sell Bitcoin. A number of Bitcoin ATMs here in Edmonton, plus across Canada, but they're proudly headquartered right here in Alberta's capital city. If you want to learn more about what they do at Bitcoin Well, just check out the sponsors link at ryanjesperson.com. All right, Sam, let's get to it. Real Talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. As mentioned, we're going to get a, a, a bit of a perspective check on what uh, COVID-19 can can feel like when you're fighting it. Aaron Ross will be joining us in about 12 minutes now. In the meantime, uh, we heard rustling next door. They're always at it early at the Adams Agency, uh, Jenny Adams, uh, founder and principal there. And so we sort of thought this might be a perfect time for an episode of Hey Neighbor. So welcome to the Real Talk studio. Uh, thanks for taking you know five minutes out of your day to come talk to us. How was your weekend? Okay, we're going to get your mic up, up rocking and rolling. Meek, we can, we can, we can, it was good. The family's, uh, maybe not the family, but the kids' school 
is is locked down. <laughs> we got a, a note last night, and uh, it's every grade except for my older sons. So every grade except for grade six. Except grade six. Except grade grade six, and of course they don't tell you who the person is for privacy. That we've we've been through this already with my younger son, so they don't tell you who it is. I have a feeling maybe it was an assistant principal or a music teacher, someone who would have like you know walked around and been in contact. Okay. I will say that I believe the schools are doing such a good job. I know you know Sasha, my little guy, was in isolation just a couple weeks ago and no one else in the class caught it you know and everything was really well taken care of and the teaching is 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 wonderful online and so I think it's actually going pretty well it's just now that you know the, the school yeah have you decided um let, let me get I haven't even told you uh the reason why I wanted you in here because I wanted this to be spontaneous and impromptu and I wanted to get your initial response without you putting too much thought into it now I don't want to be the Scrooge here. Uh, I don't want to be the Grinch here, uh, but I have been noticing over the, over the past number of days, and, I, and I'm a little bit concerned and troubled by it. Um, some, and, and again, I just know I'm going to really tick some people off here, but I really sincerely care about this, and I'm really sincerely troubled. I'm seeing a lot of people. Uh, it started, I think, with Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, who, who's in a very impossible position and mm -hmm. is doing a very difficult job, okay? Mm -hmm. And she's putting out saying, messaging, did you see this over the weekend? Yeah. If you are, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. If You know exactly. If you are going to the mall and if you're going to be taking pictures with Santa, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, please do your best to, to keep your distance. And then I'm seeing people who I care about and people who I love. And I'm obviously not showing any of the photos, for examples, because that would be counterproductive to my friendships. People are, and, and I get it, and it's such a special time, and it's so special that kids get to meet Santa for sure. And everybody wants to have their, their photos of the kids every single year and all this, that, and the other. But it's just absolutely blowing my mind that people are sending their kids to go sit on Santa's lap in the middle of a pandemic. Am I crazy or am I not crazy? Oh, you're not crazy. I mean, I'm so tired of it all. I think everyone's so tired of it all. And people are trying to find unique ways to keep the Christmas spirit alive or just keep life feeling a little bit like normal. But that's not unique. I that's know, what no, we do every year. But not, but kids appreciate this. Like, for example, Whoa. tonight, the snow. Okay, so I believe that there are a lot of different people pivoting and trying to make, you know, drive through Santas and different things so that you can still have that socially distanced, you know, acceptability. I think Dr. Hinshaw realizes that not everyone's going to. Uh, maybe, oh, here I go, have common sense or, or listen to what she says. So she has to actually give those things. It's like, don't take the blow dryer in the bathtub. You know, if you're going to see Santa, please keep your distance. Like some of those things need to be said because people are, do not want to, and that is their own will, I suppose, yeah. to listen to the rules that are being put down on them. And it's, it's been a long haul. So I, I agree with you. I think it's silly and ridiculous and that there's lots of ways that you can still have that Christmas spirit and see Santa in different ways. To um, it's like it's like if somebody said i'm trying to quit smoking but it takes me forever because they keep sneaking in cigarettes that's what it feels like or i'm trying to lose yeah, weight yeah, yeah. but it takes forever because i keep eating lemon meringue pies at two in the morning like there's a reason why this is going to take forever there's a reason why people are sick and tired of it it's because we have idiots gathering at and i'm not t calling the santa people that yeah I'm saving that for the people that are gathering at the anti-mask rallies and bringing their kids. But we saw those over the weekend as well. Of course, this is going to keep dragging on. Well, and I think, you know, our government's way of communicating with people has never been very personal. 
you know, I think there's, we all can probably agree there's this attitude of we're going to do what we're going to do and we're not going to apologize for it. Um, And that works in some sense. But right now we're not connecting with that emotional tie. If you look at Brian Palser, the Manitoba premier where he came out last week and I cried listening to it. And he said, you know what, you're not going to respect, you know, you, you're going to be mad at me for canceling Christmas right now, but I hope one day that you'll respect me with a little bit of emotion and a little bit of empathy and, you know, that understanding that we're all in this together. It's not us telling you what to do or not what to do. And, and maybe that approach would actually go a long way, but we've, I've never seen this government attempt it. Not talking about Dr. Hinshaw, I'm talking about Kenny. And, you know, I, I don't disagree to be honest. I, and here I'm going to lose friends. I don't disagree with how they're handling the pandemic completely right now. I don't. I think that people need to keep going to work, that people need their kids to go to school, that kids need to eat, that they need other adults to pay attention to them in some situations, that suicides up, mental health situations are up. People are dying for many, many other reasons. I think it's an impossible position to decide what to do, and they've decided to do it in one way. I don't completely disagree with that, but I do disagree with the way that they're communicating it and trying to reach people because people are still going to see santa claus yeah and it's like that's ridiculous i i you know i've seen some things over the weekend like uh i saw that santa in in a facebook group that i'm in santa was offering zoom calls for kids Mm -hmm. to visit him and tell him what they want for christmas i thought that was so creative and so wonderful and 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 again and i'm not trying to like this is the show's called real talk we're gonna have some real talk i saw some pictures over the weekend of of you know santa and it was a you know it's great that he's making himself available but like you know, holding a baby like this, you know, like he's like he's, you know, running for president and just this close and smiling and breathing on the baby. And I'm just going like, what are we doing? I know, I know. I know. And you know what? I have family. I say this all the time in our group chat because I feel like I'm, you know, trying to be like, I have family in rural Alberta out by Rocky Mountain House. And, you know, their their ways of dealing with the pandemic or their mentality toward a lot of things are different than ours. You know, yeah. like, well, the reality is a little bit. The different reality is different. It's, it's more. But you know, some of them not saying my family, but they don't want to wear masks and they, you know, it's just, we all, there's a, so many different opinions and I'm just so sick of talking but about since it. When, I want but it to be over. I know, but since when did we have opinions on science? Since when did we have opinions? The opinion is, okay, ugh, the opinions, Ryan, let's just fight here. We need a drink already. The opinions are what we should do and how we should handle it. Yeah. You know, let's shut everything down for two weeks. Well, people can't eat or pay their bills and lose their business, you know? So there, that's where the opinions come in. And I think, you know, V and I over in our office on the other side, we dragged you, you know, six feet away from us last week to be like, I think we figured it out. Yeah. You know, it's impossible for me to say I'm right and you're wrong or you're right and I'm wrong because I'm not living in your shoes and you're not living in mine. And we just really need to understand that everyone has their own lived in experience here and just like take it down a tone and we also need vaccines tomorrow like the uk so we can just get back to real yeah. life yeah luke is listening in luke's watching and he's chiming in on our our live talk that's going on uh side by side with our youtube broadcast he says wait they're not actually sitting on santa's lap though yeah actually sitting on santa's lap santa's holding the babies like they was have- it an old picture maybe no well <laughs> i'm trying to look at the bright side the benefit of the time i mean you know, shout out to, we're hearing from Lethbridge. Listener says Park Place Mall in Lethbridge is not having the mall Santa even show up this year. Um, you know, Sean is listening in. He says even Santa's putting himself at risk as well, right? I, I highly, you know, and it, I don't know. I'm not trying to be, you know, obviously we're, we're big on the Christmas spirit. Yeah, what's up, Sammy? 
What's going on? Oh, yeah. I, w- I was just going to say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this whole, the whole idea of doing like a Zoom call with Santa. I think and, it's a and great like, idea. Well, like what's, what's better than talking to Santa at the actual North Pole? Like you can go visit him in a super mall. Super cool. Or you can just get an uplink to him at the North Pole. That's a super right? cool idea. Yeah. And I agree. I guess I just like, I'm not trying to be the guy that's like, you know, whatever, bah humbug. I just think it's a pandemic Christmas and we're trying to still chase normal as much as possible. And I understand why for the kids, but also maybe we need to sort of put normal on hold just a little bit. Uh, do you have two more minutes? Because You know I, what? I do. I don't have a long commute back to my office. You so. don't. That's right. I like these segments of I Hey know. Neighbor. Uh, we're going to get to Aaron Ross in just a moment. Sam, I hope you don't mind if I put you on the spot a little bit. Um, this is uh, this is going to be one of the perks of the job for you. Uh, now that you're here, uh, and everybody, you can follow Sam on Twitter at Samuel G. Brooks. Uh, you tweeted. You know exactly where that's I'm going me. with oh, this. Oh, yeah. I know yeah. where you're going with this. Yeah. yeah. So, so Sam tweeted, uh, I'm watching an interview with a Calgary snowbird who insisted on going to Arizona for the winter. This seems to be the pinnacle of selfishness. Well, it prompted an email, and you can send us an email anytime by visiting talk at ryanjesperson.com from Robert, a listener, uh, who we're sure grateful for him tuning in. It's a very, did you read his email? It's very reasonable. I did, It's yeah. very. It's very I, calm. I, yeah. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but I wanted to give you a chance to respond, and I'd love for Jenny to chime in. He says, I saw Sam's tweet about snowbirds wanting to go self, uh, south, and if they're selfish, if they do. And he said, I can think of many ways to view it, but I'm not convinced that selfish is an honest assessment. He says, I wanted to see if I could formulate why I would go south and whether or not this is selfish. And so he basically goes on. He writes a long email. I can't read the whole thing, but he says, after working for 40 years, I retired. Part of our planning was building a winter vacation home in Arizona. We've owned and lived in this home every winter since 2008. I've always been shamed from those who think I should be happy to stay in Canada all year long number two he says we presently here in alberta live in a condo with 160 other families right all of the amenities that we pay for every month all of them closed at our winter home we have a walled-in yard it's just my wife and i says we also purchase medical insurance to cover any issues while we're gone as we always do 100 paid from our own income he says i'm in my late 60s i have fewer years left on earth than i've lived here Having lived through countless winters and snow like you wouldn't believe, I'm afraid of things like slipping on ice and idiotic drivers that still have their licenses. He also says, my wife and I worked regular jobs. We're middle-class people. We saved. We've paid all of our bills, all of our taxes. We're generous with our friends. Are we selfish for paying our own way without any handouts from government? He also says, after listening to government's COVID advice, from time to time, I admit, maybe I'm missing obvious things. He says, the final point I'll make, it's not me being facetious, but I'm concerned about my mental health. Being locked up in a condo with limited outside contact is overwhelming. He says, thanks for reading this. Monday when you're back on air, when you're talking to people, try to figure out what they are and what they are not saying. This is a bigger story than pre-prepared speaking points. Uh, That from Robert, who put a lot of thought into that. So what do you figure, Sam? Because now you're the senior producer of Real Talk. When you put stuff out, people are going to pin you on it. And I see both you and Jenny just snap to attention looking over me here. No, I mean, like, far be it. First of all, I don't want to start Twitter fights with our viewers. I I really don't. This is a healthy diet. Yeah, of course. This is healthy. Um, Fundamentally, you still have to get on an airplane and cross an international border. Right? Um, Those are, like, the number one things we've been told not to do. We can do a little bit of domestic air travel sometimes with necessity. There's quarantine restrictions depending on which province you're going in and out of. Um, that I personally have a little bit of trepidation around, but I understand that it's kind of necessary right now. And there's, there's some scenarios where you can do that safely and that's, that's fine. Um, as far as the, I I just, nothing is normal this year. And 
Oh. <laughs> Sorry, no, that's totally fine. Uh, Jesper's phone is, uh, just popped on. Um, you know, it, it, it's. I think that there is a very understandable feeling of being isolated and being locked inside and being cooped up. And I can empathize with having to you know, live in a condo building and not have as much access to the outside. So, you know, all of those things are, are incredibly valid points. And I, I, I totally see where our guest is coming from from that. But okay. I, I guess I just sort of make the fundamental argument of it is safer for everybody if you just take a year off. Okay, Jenny, what do you think? Selfish or not? back on is it on okay I don't think it's selfish um I don't think it's selfish at all I you know if you're going to isolate here by yourself or you're going to isolate there by yourself it's selfish if you're you know out and about and hanging out with your friends and playing pickleball and doing all these things where you're you know combining your breathing and everything that we're not supposed to do but I do not believe that it's selfish to pick your spot and go there um I, I agree with him what he says about mental health I agree with him about you know length of time left in his life possibly our winters are really tough it's really dark here and you know we were talking uh I was hosting a panel earlier this week and we were talking about loneliness as one uh, one, one part of it stuck in your condo and the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day is what loneliness does to your body so if you can get outside and you can get into the sunshine and you can I don't know do what makes you feel okay in this new normal then I say go for it and lucky you we were my husband works in Mexico so we yeah. were looking at February March when kids could still go online and then in school of maybe going there you know we would be flying we would be taking a risk but my husband can't work because he's here and so everyone's kind of taking their own uh, look at, at, at risks and what they're willing to take and not. I mean, it's not like this gentleman is going to see Santa Claus. Well, and that's and that's where I kind of wonder if I'm mm -hmm. if I'm being a hypocrite in the sense that like I know I know for example we heard uh, from we're all a, being or, hypocrites all of us yeah we kind of are all we being all hypocrites us. aren't we I mean that's that, the real you know, talk yeah. right I heard I heard a while ago from a good friend of the show Mr. Magoo uh, Sean who listens in he's 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 down in the states he's down at his uh, I don't know if it's his vacation I guess it is his vacation but he lives there half the year he listens every morning Mr. Magoo what's shaking and and he was talking to me about why it's important for him to get down there and again he's they've they've got you know whatever he has four thousand square feet and he's he's out on the golf course like by himself hitting balls and. I mean, he's, he's probably going to be more exposed here when he's here. So then I kind of go, well, I guess I don't really have a problem with it. But then Sam makes a compelling point about air travel. And then, and then here I am cracking on mall Santas. And uh, I don't know. Oh, I think it's over yet. Is it over yet? <laughs> it's over yet. We all just want it to be over. We all want it to be over. Anyway. I, want, I just want to hug strangers. Yeah. Like I just want to run into someone in a restaurant. Again. Oh my God. Do I miss hugging strangers? <laughs> right? I miss, I miss, uh, I, I, I miss having people sweating on me and spilling beer on me <laughs> yes, at concerts. A hundred percent. And that sounds gross, yeah. but it's just like, no, nah, I would take that over this anytime. Yeah. I miss, I miss drunk people putting me in fun headlocks and trying to get selfies <laughs> at Oilers you know games. What? I cannot wait though, until we look back maybe a year from now and be like, remember last Christmas when we didn't have all these things that we had to go to that Christmas yeah. day, you know, I plan on having a fire on my driveway and drinks for anybody watching walking by that they yeah. can pick up themselves and this community spirit and I'm trying to look at it in this really positive light because one day we'll look back and we'll be able to see the benefits but in the meantime we need to protect each other and take care of each other and get through this and I feel like we're like on the home stretch very well said that's Jenny Adams of the Adams Agency she's our neighbor here this is an impromptu segment called hey neighbor 
Thanks for hanging out, Jenny. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Wanted to give a shout out to a couple of the sponsors that are key in keeping us doing this show each and every morning, including the team at Local Waste. Uh, You know, by the way, Local Waste, of course, the title sponsor of Trash Talk Fridays at 10 a.m., quickly becoming our most popular segment. If you have a gripe, it can be about anything. Uh, Troy, a listener, complained about cake over pie. He he hates buttercream icing. He thinks it's overrated. That made it in last Friday. Wildly entertaining. You just send it in to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And you can hear your message presented as part of Trash Talk. Here's the deal with local waste, though. You know, they've been running for 25 years, an incredible business ahead of the big multinationals. And now they're looking to expand here in Alberta and maybe even outside of Alberta. If this is something where you're sensing maybe a business opportunity, an entrepreneurial opportunity, Chris Labossier wants you to give him a call to 780-242-9746. If expansion and the entrepreneurial spirit defines exactly what you want your 2021 to look like, give Local Waste a call. Plus, Friesen Brothers. Yesterday, I had a chance to go tour their brand new store just off the Anthony Henday at Rabbit Hill Road. They're hoping to have it open early spring. It looks unbelievable in there. In the meantime, at their other 14 Alberta locations, the Red Seal chefs are putting together Christmas feasts for anybody that doesn't want to cook. If leaving the turkey to a pro sounds pretty darn good to you, contact Friesen Brothers in your community. Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Let's get to Aaron Ross. Aaron Elizabeth Ross, if you know uh, art in Alberta, you know her. Uh, phenomenal talent. But here's the thing. We're going to get personal with Aaron Ross this morning. She has just emerged, and I'll ask her if we should rephrase that. She's been fighting COVID-19 for the past couple of weeks. She's back on her feet, which uh, I know her friends and family are thrilled about because, Aaron, this sounds like it was a hell of a fight. Welcome to Real Talk. Hi, friends. How are you feeling? We were I was I was corresponding with you sort of mid last week and you were going to see your doctor in in follow up. Uh, take us through your journey. This this sounds like you were you were put through the ringer. I yeah, um, you know, at the risk of sounding like an idiot, uh, I was shocked at how sick I got. <laughs> so, you know, talk about um, hubris, I guess, you know, I was listening to the what you and Jenny were just talking, you know, about whether or not people are being selfish with their actions. And I think we've all been, you know, we're trying to self assess and be like, I, I'm doing the right things. And I, I would have said that. And I know that there are people that if I was being followed around by like a, like a draw a camera, they would have said, Well, were you really doing everything you could have because you still got sick. But Honestly, like, you know, I do, I live alone. I work alone. I work in isolation. I had a cohort. I knew there was a risk because I was, you know, I'd gone to the mountains. I had, we had driven to Vancouver. I had gotten a flight to BC during this, but you know, we had assessed the risk. I, I don't see my parents. I work and live alone. Um, You know, I assumed that if I did contract it, that it would be because I'm healthy and I'm young and I have a lot of physicians in my family that it would be like what most of what I was hearing, which was that it was going to be a bad cold. And, uh, that was not what it was for me, like at all. So So how did it, how did it start for you? Like, did you start, I've, I've heard some people say you start, they started to get a tickle in their throat or they started to have a cough or a bit of a fever. When did you, when did you first notice your first symptom? And then, and then how did it ramp up from there? Can you take us sort of almost a day by day? I had an interesting because a member of my cohort was the one who uh, was sort of patient zero. So she and I had spent the whole weekend together and she got sick first. So she lost her sense of taste 
And I was, and she said that to me and I said, we got to be worried because if you lost your sense of taste, that's a very significant COVID symptom. And I, I started developing symptoms, honestly, like clockwork, probably 48 hours later. And my first symptoms were very viral. So not so much the chest, uh, the respiratory stuff. It was nausea, um, like profound dizziness. Vertigo would be the best way to describe it. Um, and joint pain were like my three major symptoms that started. And then the next day it was like full system shutdown. Like I, um, the respiratory stuff started from zero to a hundred. Like I was coughing stuff up. Um, my chest got really tight. My, my temperature was all over the place. So like I, I kept the thermometer next to my bed because I was trying to make sure it wasn't going to get into a danger zone. But I was like from, I would swing four degrees in a day, my temperature. Um, I would, I was sweating. It was like, I had no control over my body. Like I had no appetite. Um, I could not eat. I lost weight. Uh, I couldn't stand because of the dizziness. Um, I had GI symptoms. So, you know, mine were less significant than the friend that I got it from. Hers were very significant. Uh, and if, I'm sure we all know now, you know, the two major things you're looking for are any kind of in intense respiratory distress or any kind of intense GI shifts where you're just getting dehydrated. So I knew to watch for those things. But I, honestly, Jess, well, like I could not believe the list of symptoms are as long as they are because you can honestly get all of those symptoms in two week period. Short of pink eye, I feel like I got all of them. Like, yeah. I couldn't. Not and, 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 and knock on wood, by the way, I guess. Right. Just just uh, just uh, in case. I mean, because I guess we don't really know uh, what the longer term effect of this is. Right. I mean, we're still I think as far as I'm concerned, unless I'm missing the findings of, of a particular study, we don't know yet if I, I think that scientists have said you could get covid twice. I think some people in the world I've seen reporting that they have contracted covid for a second time. Some people are talking about the longer term effects of it. We're going to talk to yeah. another covid patient on Wednesday on the show. So how are you now? You're, you're kind of through the other side in a way, but I hesitate to put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly what, like, you know, I've got, um, the thing that's interesting about me is I've got three siblings who are all very intelligent, one of which is a physician. So she was the one originally in March, uh, she works at the ALEC as an internal medicine doctor. And she said, you need to cancel all your trips coming up. Cause I had trips coming up, uh, multiple trips for spring. And she said, you shouldn't be getting on an airplane. Uh, this is going to be a pandemic. And none of the information has started to filter down yet. So I remember getting in my first, not my last, my first altercation with her back in March. Cause she said, what, mark my words, this is going to be a pandemic. Like this is going to be very bad. And I think a lot of, if you spoke to anybody in the medical fields, they all felt this, like they all knew this was happening. So I did have this like acute awareness that it could be very bad and that there was things like post-viral syndrome, or, you know, I could have long lasting joint issues, gut issues, health issues that, you know, some people are significantly suffering from. And my sister kind of echoed that. She said, you know, if you, if you opened yourself up to the risk to get this and now whatever happens is your own fault. Like it was, it was a tough, it was a wake up call because she was right. So how did your, so, when's the last time I'm saying this facetiously, when's the last time you said publicly on the record that your sister was right in a, in a debate with you? That's exactly right. It's tough for me to do that. Anybody who knows my family is like that. Rosses don't like to do that. Um, so it, it was a tough, it's been tough. Like we have not been, we have not seen this much like the conversation. Again, I, I listened to you and uh, Jenny Adams and Sam talking, you know, who's selfish, whose behavior is okay. The moral compass on this is, is 
difficult because it isn't linear. You know, like my sister is married with three kids under six. She's a physician. Her and her husband rely on daycare and assistance to run their household. I am a single unmarried childless artist who lives and works alone. So, you know, you, my risk tolerance is higher than hers inherently. I'm not a public servant. I, I try to live my life by example. And, you know, but I, I do think if she had the option to get on a plane, like I got on a plane to Vancouver over the summer because that felt safe for me. I assessed the risk. We went there to camp. Um, we weren't staying in hotels. We weren't going to restaurants. I got to the airport and I got a rental car and that was that. And that felt okay for me. Well, and and you, know what I, okay you know what I also think, so. Aaron, too, is like, is, uh, you know, to be fair and to be, uh, you know, objective and open-minded in the conversation, you didn't do something illegal. Like, you know, I mean, no. to, to be fair, air travel is being made accessible to people. It's being made available to people. So it's it's not like people are breaking the law. Um, no. how, how has your COVID experience, if at all, changed your perspective on what we're talking about, on, on, on social gatherings, on, on everything else? Yeah. The, uh, my biggest takeaway from this truly was, and again, like this isn't something I'm proud to admit like this. We don't like to look at ourselves critically because it, it's difficult, but you know, I am pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of my behavior throughout COVID, but what I'm upset about is that I had all these people saying to me, you know, it's not just a common cold. If you get this, it can be very bad, but that wasn't being presented in my spheres. That wasn't what I was seeing, you know, Obviously, my sister working as a physician, she's seeing cases that have gotten so far gone that they're, they are incredibly serious and people are losing their lives. But in my spheres, you know, people that 25 to 40 getting it were all like, it really just felt like a cold, like you're going to be okay. So shame on me for assuming that if I got this, I have effectively just the, to, to isolate for two weeks. But I was even thinking, you know, preemptively, if I get sick, I'm going to set my place up to work at, at home. Like I'll be able to paint from my, my home. I, I was not, I had a total loss of income for two weeks. Like there was no, and I am not set up to do that. I don't have employees with, if I'm not there, I'm losing money. Yeah. So like real talk, I lost, this is my busiest month leading up to Christmas. I, my loss of income is enormous right now. Like not being sick and being this sick for that long, all personal health stuff aside had a massive financial consequence. Like I, I was not well, this was not a common cold. And that is what the reason I chose to share this was because my experience was so wholly different. I wasn't hospitalized, but man, was I sick. And, you know, I did have a moment in the middle of it all day 10, you know, losing weight, seeing all the ribs in the front of my chest, trying to stand. And then I started violently vomiting day 10, which was a new symptom. And I thought, Jesus, did I need to go to the hospital? Like, is it happening? Like, is this what's going on? Like yeah. I, there is a middle ground where there are people getting very, very sick. It is still stigmatized. Nobody wants to admit it because they're worried of the shame and the social judgment. And I thought it was important to normalize the spectrum of symptoms you can get. So like my symptoms, still, like my case is still considered mild, but it was brutal. Like, I well, was, I could tell I and, and Aaron, what, what prompted me to reach out to you. First of all, I had heard uh, through mutual friends that you were fighting and, and, uh, and, and it was right around that time, I guess you were starting to emerge because you had posted on Instagram, uh, yeah. encouraged people to follow you on Instagram you know, sort of an emotional post of, of, of just sharing what your symptoms had been like. And I could see it all over your face that this had been a hell of a fight. I wanted uh, for people to hear this because uh, quite frankly, let, let me just read this in a comment. Uh, these are, these are the folks that are commenting uh, live on our YouTube thread and uh, Deanne is listening in and she makes such a great point. She basically says, you know, I'm so sick of 
hearing that this virus or that COVID isn't that serious because it mostly affects people older than 80. Deanne says it is completely insulting to suggest that our seniors' lives are any less valuable. We need to wear masks to protect them. Uh, You're pretty far from 80, ER, and I think it's important for people to hear that COVID can kick your ass no matter how old or how fit or how healthy you otherwise are. Yeah, 100%. I double down on that sentiment, and that's, you know, People kept saying to me, really? Like, but you, you can't get sick because I'm I'm pretty tough and I'm pretty strong and I'm, I'm pretty fit. And people weren't even believe, like they were like, come on, it can't be that bad. And it was like, no, like I'm not, I have no, there's no incentive for me to uh, exaggerate what my symptoms were like, or for me to be um, disingenuous about, you know, what happened here. Like there, because it is important for people to understand the spectrum of how this can affect you. And you know, some people, yeah, they just get a tickle in their throat and other people like, my God, man, we were, me and the girl that got me sick, who is also my age, a yoga instructor, very fit, was hit just as, if not harder. She was yeah. more sick than I was for longer. Well, I'll tell you what, maybe uh, your appearance here on Real Talk can can kickstart and boost your December bottom line. Uh, I want everybody to oh, check God. out Aaron, <laughs> AaronElizabethRoss.com. My personal favorite is your firework, uh, but I know you do incredible other uh, series. Your landscapes are phenomenal and, and have earned you renown across Canada. AaronElizabethRoss.com is where you can find what ER is doing. Thanks for making time for us this morning, friend. I'm so glad that you're back on your feet. Nice to see you. Yeah, you as well. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. We're going to talk to uh, former cabinet minister Amarjeet Sohi plus the news headlines in just a second. Wanted to give a shout out to our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Uh, they are keeping us on track literally that's right the rubber to the road with this 2020 jeep grand cherokee that i'm driving and i mean i know it's been kind of beautiful right now actually knock on wood you know we're going to get hit with minus 30 and a foot of snow at some point and when we do when i wake up and look outside at 6:45 and i see eight inches of snow on top of the truck i know i'm driving the right rig to keep me confident on the road We've also got my wife and our little guy in a Grand Cherokee because we trust the brand and we trust the teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Go see Scott and his team, whether it's sales or service. They want your business, obviously locally owned, locally operating, Alberta's best Jeep dealers. Sam, let's take a look at the headlines. Well, we'll ask Amarjeet Sohi about this. Former Liberal Cabinet Minister, just curious for his take on it as federal opposition critics from the NDP and the Conservative Party of Canada demanding more transparency from the federal government. Uh, Pierre Polyev among them, they're saying, hey, listen, $240 billion spent in the last eight months. We need to know where it's going. To this point, uh, Finance Minister Deputy PM Christia Freeland has not commented publicly except to say now is the time for us to focus on what we can do going forward to save Canadians' lives and preserve the Canadian economy. There will be a time for post-mortems, but while the plane is flying, one does not try to change the engine. That from Canada's finance minister. Here in Alberta, within the span of a month, more than 250 people have died from COVID-19. That's Alberta alone, as the province surpassed 600 total reported deaths on Sunday with 1,836 
new cases. The majority of cases remain in the Edmonton and Calgary zones. Alberta's Health Minister Tyler Shandro says the government is waiting to see whether existing measures have an effect before deciding whether to impose more, such as a mass lockdown. And on the entertainment and pop culture front, how about this? Hundreds of millions of dollars rumored to have changed hands, though the exact amount not disclosed as Bob Dylan sells his entire catalog of songs dating back 60 years to Universal Music Publishing Group. The catalog contains 600 songs, the copyrights, including all of the classics. Dylan topped the Rolling Stone list of the 100 greatest songwriters of all time in 2015. The song Like a Rolling Stone, named by the magazine as the best ever written. Sam Brooks brought this story to my attention. Are you a big Dylan guy? I don't know if I'm I'm classically a big Dylan. I mean, like you have to. Res- I've seen him live once before. It was phenomenal. I'm I'm glad that I have that experience under my belt, just because it's it's you know he's he's an odd figure. I think the thing about Bob Dylan is he's such a he's such a writer. He's such a poet that there's there's an entire era of popular music that was written by him, whether he performed it or not. So many of the so many of the classics that we love right now, you know, like Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower, that's a Bob Dylan song, right? Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, there's, I think that he's just, he's made such an impact on music that it's it's significant whether you love him or hate him, you have to respect the guy. Yeah, what, what, what I, I thought it was crazy to see Dylan's songs have been recorded more than 6,000 times uh, by various artists, uh, like you said, including the Hendrix version of All Along the Watchtower. Uh, what did you, the Dylan show, I got to see him live once as well uh, down in Calgary. This is, I guess, about 15 years ago. Um, at that point, it was kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind was it one of those for you? It, it was. It was one of those yeah. for me. I. I think you know. I, part of the reason I brought up all, all along the Watchtower is I. I'm sorry. I'm watching Abergy. So he laughing at our conversation right we gotta now. We got to bring. In front I of gotta, me. Let's, let's let's bring in Abergy. As a matter of fact, because he, he's sitting here. We got a former federal cabinet minister. This guy steered the ship on infrastructure and natural resources for the governing liberals uh, following his election in Edmonton Mill Woods back in 2015. Of course, a former Edmonton city councilor before that. My friend, welcome to Real Talk. This, of course, your debut. We're glad to have you here. Hey Ryan, so much. Uh, <clears throat> thank you so much for uh, for having me, and uh, I'm enjoying the conversation that you, you and Sam and many of your guests been having over the last uh, uh, two weeks. I'd say I haven't listened to all of the shows, but I have what? listened to the majority of them. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Well, I'm grateful know, that but, you've tuned uh, in. Do you have before congratulations. we? Bu- I want to talk to you about COVID. We're going to talk to you about you know a lot of people think you're on this morning to make an announcement. We'll get to that in just a second. But but do you do you have an opinion on Bob Dylan uh, in, in any way whatsoever? Have you ever seen him live? I have not seen him live, but my daughter is a big fan of his. Okay, good stuff. So I, I you know. When she was growing up, you could see the music blasting from her room. Yeah, well, she's got good taste in music. And actually, your your daughter, you're talking about Sirat, I'm assuming, uh, is yeah. has has done a phenomenal job uh, covering the NBA for Yahoo, and she's achieved great prominence in in Canada's media landscape. You should be very proud of her, and I know you are. Uh, you know, I am absolutely, I am absolutely proud, proud of her, and uh, she's back home with us uh, for uh, oh, is she? For a while. And, oh, great. Yeah. She oh, good. In, uh, she was in. Uh, she moved to Los Angeles uh, in in February, but then uh, because of, because of the COVID situation, she came back. She came back in uh, in July, and she's been with us uh, since then. 
uh, you happy know, to her, happy to have her back home. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's something that, you know, we're, we're trying to find the positives as well. And there are many positives. And I think it's important for us to talk about positives as well for our mental health and for, for many other reasons. You know, we had all of our family, my sister's 40th birthday. We had a wonderful, big, beautiful palace and golden reserved. The family was to come together uh, this coming weekend. Uh, as a matter of fact, Sam had us all technically set up where I was going to be broadcasting Real Talk from Golden, B.C. for a week. We're obviously not doing that. Uh, if for no other reason, I'd be absolutely crucified. Uh, and then, of course, our family uh, Christmas gathering has been canceled. It will be just our tight family unit. But I think that it'll be a unique and beautiful holiday celebration unlike any other. Where's your perspective or how are you wrapping your mind around the reality right now in the context of the pandemic? You know, uh, I know this might be a little, <clears throat> you probably didn't expect this, but I, uh, I, I must tell you that uh, this COVID situation and uh, 2020 and the last part of 2019 has been very, very difficult for our family. You know, losing the election was, I would say, the least difficult part of that, right? Uh, but having uh, uh, my wife uh, uh, was diagnosed with uh, kidney cancer just, uh, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before that it was dropped and she had her surgery during the, uh, during the campaign and a long recovery uh, uh, through 2020. Um, and then the lockdown that started in uh, in March, and then a couple of months ago, my brother passed away uh, unexpectedly. Right, uh, so it's, grieving has been very difficult uh, during uh, uh, COVID. You know, your loved ones can't visit you. You can't hug each other. You can't touch each other. You can't come close to each other. And uh, I, you know, along with the many of the other restrictions and uh, precautions that we need to follow, uh, my heart goes out to, uh, uh, to, you know, 600 and so Albertans who died uh, because of COVID and many others who died because of uh, non-COVID situations as my brother uh, uh, was. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not normal times. It's uh, so much pain, so much anxiety and, and, and unable to console and grieve together because grieving is a communal act. Of course, it's not an individual act, right? And uh, and if you can't do that, that leaves scars, and you think about all those things. So it's a, uh, it's been a very very difficult. So I, uh, you know, I, uh, I feel I feel how people are uh, are struggling and uh, and all the challenges related to uh, related to that. But you know, uh, uh, I see hope on the horizon. Uh, I see the. Uh, uh, the vaccine uh, uh, hopefully coming out soon and then uh, effectively being rolled out and uh, uh, and distributed and uh, prioritized in a way that those who need it most are, are they able to get it uh, get it fast and I hope that uh, we will continue to comply as much as possible with the restrictions even though those restrictions on my mind are not have not gone far enough. Uh, uh, we're asking certain segments of the population to sacrifice more while tolerating the unruly behavior of uh, uh, other folks, right? And this inconsistency in uh, in in, uh, in expectations, uh, I think, have caused to the confusion. And uh, but I hope that as we get into Christmas, uh, that we'll be very careful and uh, and uh, do what we can to control this virus. I'm so grateful for your candor 
uh, Amarjeet, you know, it's it's uh, I think it, people expect uh, when we see politicians or public figures that they walk around like they're bulletproof. They walk around like they don't take the nicks and the scars. They walk around like they don't feel the pain. And uh, what you've just divulged to us that, that losing the federal election, uh, a job that I know that you loved uh, in October of 2019 was the least difficult part of this past year for you is a huge perspective check. Uh, the the reality of not being able to grieve in community is one that your family is experiencing and continues to experience and many other families as well, as you alluded to. Uh, limitations on gatherings, uh, funerals, there's no normalcy. And this is not to mention the people, uh, many of them tragically seniors in long-term care that are fighting COVID and ultimately dying by themselves. Uh, families, uh, anguished family members cannot visit. These people are, are, are suffering, uh, alone. And it's, it's something that I don't think maybe that we've talked enough about because I think maybe it's just too painful for a lot of people to take it on, but I think we need to talk about it. How are you finding comfort? I think we need to talk about these issues, uh, because these are very emotional issues, uh, uh, and sometimes we don't open up. Uh, we don't open up in a way that allows others to see the humanity in us, allows others to see the pain and uh, and deep grief that uh, as individuals we uh, uh, we go through. And you're right. And you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to come and talk to you today, Ryan, is absolutely uh, uh, you know talk about these emotions because. Uh, uh, people don't see politicians as uh, average people. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we they perceived us to be very, very uh, thin-skinned individuals, and uh, and uh, they see politicians as a fair game to say whatever they want to say. But they don't think. They don't think when they post a tweet or uh, something on the Facebook or say something on a on a talk show radio that public figures are human beings like them that they have daily struggles like them, that they go through those emotional up and downs like any any average person. So when you're posting, some, posting something that's derogatory, that's racist, that is demeaning, think about it. Think about it, that how would that will be seen and the circumstances that an individual might be dealing with. You uh, announced uh, just a few days ago on December 2nd that you're partnering with McEwen University here in Edmonton to teach a course on compassionate, collaborative and inclusive leadership and anti-racism capacity building. And I, I want to ask you about that in a second. But what I want to tell you, and this will not be news to you, Amarjeet, is that when we announced last night that you would be joining us on the show this morning, uh, there was immediately the scuttlebutt was immediately that on the first show we ever did, Don Iveson announced he would not seek re-election, and now people are predicting a second scoop here on Real Talk. People yeah. are expecting that potentially you may be announcing right now your intention to run for mayor in Edmonton next fall. Where are you at with that? Well, I am sorry if I'm going to disappoint your uh, listeners, uh, Ryan. Uh, uh, you know, being a public service servant is absolutely an honor. And I, I enjoyed every bit of the 12 years that I served on city council, then as member of parliament, and then leading two major economic portfolios, infrastructure and, uh, and natural resources. Um, and, uh, 
you know, I love public service. So I will continue to uh, give back whichever way I can. Uh, but I am nowhere at a stage where I know what I'm going to do next because of the, uh, the you know, the situations that we have been through and, uh, and the family circumstances that we are dealing with. But one thing I want to tell you, though, Ryan, that uh, as you mentioned, I've been reflecting quite a bit uh, over the last uh, nine months about my history in this country. I came to this country with very little. Uh, you know, I, I didn't speak the language. I did not understand the culture. Only, only thing I had was the love of my brother and uh, my sister-in-law, my brother who just recently passed away. And uh, uh, so, you know, I've been reflecting on this, like why compassion matters, why caring for each other matters. I think this COVID situation has revealed many vulnerabilities in our society. It has revealed the issues of, you know, homelessness, poverty, the plight of seniors, in care, uh, you know, which is shameful to think that those who build this country and gave us so much, we will let them die in uh, uh, in isolation, and uh, and uh, and that how how we neglected uh, uh, the investment into uh, into infrastructure and to facilities that are properly properly care for them. COVID has also exposed deep divisions in our. Uh, in, in our society on, on economic inequalities, how some people have dealt with COVID better, who have the means to do so than those who have precarious jobs and our part-time jobs are working two or three uh, jobs to make, uh, make sense meet. COVID has also highlighted deep-rooted racism and discrimination that we have tried to, uh, you know, uh, ignore and uh, and not not deal with. But here's another thing, Brian, that inspires me and why I'm conducting this course is uh, COVID has also revealed something deeply fundamental in human beings, uh, a value that we don't cherish as much. That is our ability to be compassionate. That is our ability to be empathetic. That is our ability to give back, to build better communities. So that's what the gist of the course that uh, I'm so privileged to be working with the McKinney University to, uh, to offer, where we're gonna dig deeper into value of compassion and leadership. Why we should be driven, not by the hierarchical, top-heavy command control approach of leadership. We should be driven by the potential of your team, building the capacity of your team to realize what they can offer better and how they can tap into their resiliency and, uh, and, and their wealth of experience and, and, and knowledge. Um, and how we use that compassion and collaboration to build the capacity of organizations to deal with racism and discrimination. You've referenced racism several times, and obviously as, as part of this uh, partnership that, that you'll be instructing uh, at McEwen University, this course, you're talking about anti-racism capacity building. 
Now, now politicians yeah. take abuse as is. Uh, and then uh, politicians, I think, uh, from minority ethnic backgrounds or in, in some circumstances, perhaps based on religious beliefs or otherwise, uh, can see that abuse piled on. You personally, I know, have experienced racism through the course of your career. Um, how has how have those experiences contributed to what you'll be teaching at McEwen University? And, and, and how will you be communicating your experience to people that, that haven't walked a mile in your shoes? Yeah, so I I make a distinction between um, people and systems and policies. I think that is very important for us to actually properly tackle uh, racism and discrimination. I don't believe that people are inherently racist or uh, or they have the tendency to discriminate. Discriminate. People learn their behavior. From society. So racism, discrimination, you know, phobias, fear of the other, uh, and biases are all learned behaviors. And we learn that from society, we learn that from our institutions, and we learn that because these policies have been in place for decades, in some cases, centuries, in when it comes to uh, racism and discrimination against indigenous uh, uh, communities. So we need to focus on changing the policies. We need to focus on changing the systems and give people the capacity and the reflection to talk about their own biases, to talk about how they have been influenced by those racist policies in their lives and how they have been able to, how they have contributed because of their individual actions of racism discrimination. I think that is very important, at least in my, my mind, that if you're looking for sustainable solutions to a building anti-racist society, then you need to make that distinction and focus on systems and focus on policies and have a thorough, very difficult discussion. How are we going to change those policies? Let me ask you about what we're seeing uh, in the news this morning. Uh, pressure from opposition politics, uh, politicians rather, is, is, is starting to mount with the opposition NDP and the Conservative Party of Canada calling on uh, the Liberal government, uh, you know, formerly your former party, uh, and I'm sure you're still a member, obviously, uh, you know, basically saying, where was this, this promise of transparency and more open government back in 2015? Uh, with then-Liberal leader uh, Justin Trudeau, who, of course, became prime minister that election. Where is that now? Opposition parties saying, you know, we've spent nearly a quarter trillion dollars over the past eight months. The government's not showing us which companies have achieved uh, the wage subsidies, how much, where the dollars are going. Uh, what's your assessment? Is that fair criticism right now of of, of Justin Trudeau, of, of Finance Minister Christian Freeland and the federal government? You know, in public institutions, transparency, accountability, and public reporting are fundamental. And every government should be striving uh, to do that, whether it's municipal government or provincial government or, or, or a federal government, doesn't matter. right? And uh, I think what do we need to keep in mind, and I want to go back, I think at the, the, the first stage or first wave of COVID, uh, I think there was uh, so much collaboration and very positive collaboration among all orders of government to uh, to work together and all parties to work together 
to deal with emerging covid situation at that time i think that kind of collaboration is slowly withering away and and leading to more partisan ship and more polarization on 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 issues having said that uh, you know i'm not part of the government so what i can share with you is what i hear in the in the media you know close to 9 million canadians have directly benefited from uh, uh serb or other federal support systems you know close to 2 million businesses have accessed either uh you know wage subsidy or uh, rental support systems that are in place or other support systems that are in place so money has gone to support canadians it has gone to support and sustain small and medium sized uh, uh businesses and to retain retain jobs as more information becomes available i think that it, it is very i think it's a uh, imperative on part of the government that they continue to share more information as it becomes uh, available at the same time not losing focus that we are still in the middle or we're probably say worse um, situation that we were in in march april of or may we are in much much dire situation uh, as far as covid is concerned and we need to continue to focus on uh, on on dealing with at the same time trying to be as transparent as possible. Amarjeet Sohi our guest a uh, former federal minister of both infrastructure and natural resources obviously a lot of your work uh through the course of your term was focused on pipelines uh and some of the more contentious elements of pipeline approval. I note that by way of your Twitter account at Sohi Amarjeet Uh, you cite an update at transmountain.com. People can go directly to that website to get updates on the construction of TMX, uh, where it notes as of December 3rd that construction of the nearly $13 billion pipeline well underway. Uh, the pipeline expansion planned to be in service in December of 2022. You're out of the game now, uh, so to speak, but obviously still keenly uh, aware of updates with regards to these projects. What does that update mean to you? And, and you know, let me ask you, I mean, it almost feels like a stupid question, but how important is it to see these pipeline projects approved for for the economics not not just you know here in Alberta but across the country in your opinion you know uh, i worked on um, uh, transmountain pipeline expansion project i gave uh, my last year and a half of uh, uh, natural resources ministry i would say last year and a half of my life in uh, solely focusing on this project to get it get it back on track fix the broken process and undertake uh, a robust meaningful consultation with indigenous communities to uh, listen to their concerns and then uh, work with them to uh, find solutions and offer accommodations which we have done I'm very proud Ryan that uh, we engaged with more than 120 indigenous communities at the end of the consultation process only four indigenous communities still disagreed with us so other vast majority either agreed or they were satisfied with the consultation process and even those four that disagreed and took the federal government to the court lost their chance and federal government federal court of appeal stood with the work that i did and my team did in in uh, uh, dealing with consultation and uh, resolving issues and that case went to the supreme court and supreme court upheld the process that we 
put in place and how we conducted ourselves. Now contrast that decision to the dis earlier decision where Federal Court of Appeal quashed the federal decision saying you did not do a proper job. So in a year and a half and two years, we we completely changed everything and got to the to the right conclusion. I'm very happy that this project is moving forward, and uh, it will be done in uh, in in a couple of years. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to blow my own own horns, uh, Ryan, but I think uh, it is important for Albertans to understand that this is the first pipeline expansion in 50 years that will get our resources to markets beyond the United States. And it's a significant project and I'm very proud, regardless of the election results, regardless of the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, very polarizing uh, situation in 2019 and, uh, and uh, the things that I had to deal with at that time and difficult situations. and. Uh, uh, in some cases, the hatred that came out <laughs> came toward my way. Despite all those challenges, I am I I am very proud that this project is moving forward. This is a very important project. This is not about Amarjeet Sohi or Justin Trudeau or Jason Kenney. It is about people. It is about Albertans who rely on the natural resources sector and the gas sector, and they deserve to have a better price for the product they produce. Well, let me let me ask you. So, so for a show called Real Talk, uh, you know, let's get down to it because you've referenced a couple of times the environment around that federal election in 2019, uh, which was toxic and uh, yeah. and and nasty. And we saw it in the provincial election in 2019 as well. We see it in the American election uh, that we recently saw in November. And, and you could be led to believe that this is the new way of doing politics. Can you paint a clear and real picture of what it was like? I mean, what were you subjected to? What were, I mean, maybe you don't have to repeat some of the things, but like what was the spirit of what people were saying and how you've won elections? You've participated in elections before at municipal and federal levels. Was this one demonstrably different? And if so, how? Well, I'll share a couple of examples with you, Ryan. Uh, you know, I, uh, I was making a presentation at the Chamber of Commerce in Calgary. Uh, in Calgary, there were people demonstrating outside, even though I have been the champion of the pipeline, uh, not only TMX, but also, uh, uh, you know, Keystone, as well as Enbridge uh, Line 3, that another pipeline that I... Uh, uh, I, I uh, uh, I worked on, and I made another presentation in uh, in Edmonton uh, to the Chamber of Commerce. People are dem demonstrating, yelling and screaming, and calling me out. And uh, I was in Red Deer after meeting with uh, uh, some energy sector folks. Uh, we were grabbing uh, uh, lunch uh, at uh, at a fast food uh, chain, and we were just leaving the restaurant. There was a guy, and in the, in the drive-through, he rolled down his window and he yelled and said, "You know, hey, so he." Uh, 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 get ready to find another job uh, in in a couple of couple of months when the election comes, right? So that kind of rudeness and uh, uh, and untoward uh, and then in some cases racist uh, remarks that I had to uh, I had to endure with. But here is I think the underlying of this polarization, Ryan. I think we can tackle. It. I think we can resolve it. I think the underlying reason is this this perceived conflict or this per perceived contradiction that you cannot grow your economy and take action on climate change at the, at the same time. I think this uh, perceived contradiction between energy and the environment 
and oil and gas and the environment is driving this, uh, this polarization and it has become political and social media has flared it up in a way that uh, we are not willing to have a reasonable, thoughtful debate that we can continue to develop our natural resources in a sustainable way and continue to create a job at the same time we can make efforts and we have the know-how and technologies and the policy levers that, that allow us to be net zero by 2050 and make a real contribution uh, to dealing with climate change. I think if, if we reduce this polarization and uh, come to uh, a table with open minds, I think we can go a long way to reducing this kind of uh, uh, you know, uh, very unnecessary uh, back and forth, the sniping that we see sometimes in politics. Amarji, we're going to be talking to Thomas Lukasik in just a moment, so I'll wrap our, this interview uh, with this, but I, I, I want to ask you, I'm, I'm sure that you have obviously informed insight into what the world is watching, which uh, these these compelling uh, farmers protests in India. If, if you look at the uh, yeah. diaspora, I mean, geez, in, in South Edmonton yesterday, uh, if you were trying to get around, forget about it. There was a, a car rally that I think I, I saw reports there were more than a thousand cars at some point. Uh, what do Canadians need to know about what's going on in India? Uh, I'd be curious in your in, in your insight there. And what do you think the federal government should do? What do you think the federal government can do, if anything, uh, that would be deemed to be appropriate in your estimation? Well, in, briefly, Ryan, I think. What we need to understand that uh, farming and agriculture is 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 a way of life for vast majority of uh, uh, Indians, right? A lot of people, uh, whether regardless of which state you live in, but particularly in Punjab and uh, in the Haryana and Rajasthan and the UP and Gujarat and uh, Central India. Uh, it, it, it is a source of uh, uh, lively, uh, li uh, uh, livelihood for vast majority of, uh, of people. And 80% of the farmers cultivate less than five acres of land. So these are small farmers, right? And the system that has been in place, like I, I remember when I was a little kid, we have the same system in place that the, that the farmers are trying to preserve now and that system has worked because that system creates local, uh, 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 I would say, co-developing development of markets in a way that you're dependent on each other. And the legislation that uh, the Modi government has tried to bring, the three pieces of legislation, introduces more market forces into, a, into that. It allows you know, corporations and companies to uh, come in and break down that uh, uh, system that had existed for uh, decades and had worked because farmers don't have the ability and infrastructure uh, to store their crops, right? They have to sell them when they, when they harvest them. And the, the current system allows them to do that. And the current system allows them a fixed price uh, and then the current system allows them to, you know, get money on a short-term loan from uh, the the people, the the market that's local markets that they that they deal with. 
So I think breaking down of the system is a is a huge cause cause of concern. And added to that is the lack of consultation. Uh, these three ordinances were introduced in the middle of the pandemic. And uh, then the legislation was passed in the middle of the pandemic. There was hardly any consultation with the with farmers. Now, hundreds and thousands of farmers are marching and circling uh, the capital, Delhi. And uh, uh, the, why are you seeing expression of support here in, in, in Canada and in other countries is that vast majority of us who, uh, who come from India, uh, immigrated from India, come from farming background, right? So we understand how the system worked and, uh, uh, and we still have family members and, uh, and the relatives who are farming and that's why you're seeing the overwhelming support. And I'm glad that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, affirmed that Canada stands with peaceful protesters, that people have the right to uh, make a case to their government and government should be listening to those concerns. Let me let me ask you this. I was having a conversation literally just yesterday uh, with a good friend of mine uh, named Doug. And I, and I hope that he's watching this interview because he knows you're going to be here with me today. And, and he's troubled that uh, and he is a compassionate guy. Don't get me wrong. I know him well. Yeah. And he's got a big heart and he's got a big heart for community. But he's concerned that in his mind, uh, the Trudeau government, the federal government in Canada is, is is poking China and India in the eye repeatedly with a stick. Uh, he's concerned about the relationship between the Trudeau liberals and the Modi government in India. And he's especially concerned about the federal government here in Canada's relationship with China, uh, with these two emerging or arrived global superpowers. I think it's fair to call China a superpower, and certainly India is growing there. What would be your response to a Canadian, a compassionate Canadian like Doug? Certainly his politics would differ from yours with regards to what's appropriate for Canada to be taking a position on when it comes to China or, in this case, India. It is always a very difficult balance, Ryan. I've been there. Uh, I served in um, federal government for four years. It's always a hard balance between um, uh, how you, uh, you know, convey the values that Canadians hold very near and dear to them, which are people's right to protest in a peaceful way, which is about protecting human rights, which is about, uh, you know, making sure that there's fairness in the uh, in, in, in the world, you know, the people should not arbitrarily be detaining Canadians when, uh, when they visit other countries in case of, uh, of China. Uh, and at the same time, I understand uh, what Doug is talking about, which is that we live in a globalized world. We live in a world where we depend on trade with each other and, uh, and Canada being one of the uh, trading nations, we need to expand our markets and we need to expand those markets uh, uh, beyond our traditional uh, partners. This is, uh, it is a very difficult balance, but uh, you need to strike that balance because uh, otherwise you cannot let, you know, compromise your values uh, uh, at the same time, cannot ignore your economic interests. Amarjeet Sohi, uh, former uh, federal infrastructure minister, federal natural resource minister, of course, an Edmonton city councilor. Uh, before that, we sure appreciate the candid nature of this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a, I'm going to have to take some time once we go off air today to, to sort of really process how you opened this interview. You don't typically get that from a, a public person, and I know I can tell you that our audience uh, and me personally really appreciate that. Thank you for your time. 
Thank you, Ryan, and good luck with uh, with your show. Thanks very much. That's Amarjeet Sohi. Uh, we're going to be talking to Thomas Lukasik in just a moment, uh, formerly Alberta's deputy premier. Uh, first, though, I want to tell you about Alta Storage. We're really excited to have Alta Storage on board as a builder here uh, with Real Talk. They are your one-stop shop. If you're considering a move and you go, yeah, but are they residential or commercial, right? Are they Are they for big jobs or small jobs? Well, They've got you covered regardless. You know these pod-style containers that everybody's raving about? Well, they can help you. They'll drop one off, all right? You want to fill it yourself, that's fine. You want to use their frog boxes, these eco-friendly moving boxes everybody's talking about? They got you covered there. Or if you're looking for staff, like workers, to help you out with the heavy lifting, they can do that too. They've got you covered from start to finish. They are locally owned locally operating employing local people and they want your business you can check out alta storage by visiting of course the sponsors link at ryanjesperson.com or you can call them directly at 780-993-ALTA that's the team at alta storage also wanted to give a big shout out to the team at park power park power is powering the real talk rj hashtag that's how you can get in touch with the show they're your friendly local utilities provider offering internet electricity and natural gas in Alberta. Their call centers are here, their customer service is here, and they share their profits with nonprofits here. So if you're open to switching up your utilities provider on behalf of the team here at Real Talk, may I humbly suggest you check out parkpower.ca. Let's get to our next guest for, I think off the top of my head, it was 14 years he represented his constituents as the MLA for Edmonton Castle Downs. That included a number of different ministerial roles and, of course, the deputy premier role under former premier Allison Redford. Thomas Lukasik making his Real Talk debut this morning. Thomas, welcome to the show and thanks for making time for us. Thank you, Ryan. Oh, hang Such on. a what, pleasure what? to be on your new show. Thank you. I think, great I think, things about it. Yeah, thank yeah. you. I think we've got a bit of a technical glitch going on no, here. No, uh, so. we've, we've got his voice here, so by all means, start your conversation. I'm just trying to get his video coming in cleanly. So, oh, okay. Uh, we're getting yeah. video coming in cleanly. So we're what? working on getting video coming in cleanly. Voice okay. is good right now. Okay, Thomas, hang tight for one quick second, because I know people... Thomas probably Thomas has like the best hair in Canada, so we want to make sure that everybody can see him. And I know that he puts a lot of work into it, so let's get to some of the comments quickly. And Sam, you let me know when we're ready to rock and roll. Uh, you know, we have uh, Real Talk viewers and listeners, of course, that are streaming us on Mixler Live every morning, plus watching us live on YouTube. And that includes the YouTube comments thread, the live comments, which is amazing uh, for us to keep an eye on this. Uh, Marco chiming in on uh, what Amarjeet Sohi was commenting on with regards to the protests, the uh, Indian uh, farmers and even protesters, uh, demonstrators, let's say, here in Canada, showing their support for those farmers' plight. Marco says Indian farmers deserve our support they are under attack by corporations that want to further impoverish them sandra is also watching us live on youtube this morning she says in my opinion the country's leader in other words prime minister justin trudeau should give canadian support when like-minded ideals are threatened which is an interesting take on that as well some of you are commenting on edmonton's mayoral race next fall in 2021 peter says part of me really would like to see amarjeet so he run for mayor however if both he and andrew knack were to run 
that would split the progressive vote and enable Mike Nickel uh, to win. Uh, so, th yeah, that could be <laughs> interesting as well. Uh, I don't think Mike Nickel's going to win regardless, but and Andrew Knack hasn't announced, so keep that in mind too. But it'll be interesting to see how that mayoral race develops. Uh, Sam, can you bring down Thomas's mic until we have him ready to go? I don't think he knows he's hot. We're also going to be, of course, keep taking a, a keen look at Calgary's mayoral race and what's going on there, as well as other races across the country here. You know, we've got a bunch of people chiming in say so what's the deal with real talk anyway is it is it an Edmonton podcast is it an Alberta podcast is it a Western Canadian podcast is it a national podcast uh, the answer is yes it's a podcast based out of Edmonton with a prairie perspective taking on national issues and it's been amazing for us of course we can track and see where people are visiting our website in in huge numbers by the way and we're so grateful for that uh, but we're seeing people that are tuning in from international markets Markets and right across Canada, including Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. And we're very grateful for that. A good morning to Winnipeg as well. Strong numbers in Winnipeg. We want to talk about the issues that matter to you here in Canada. And of course, it'll be coming from a Western Canadian based host. That's where the podcast is based. That's where a live show is based. But we're going to be talking about issues that matter to Canadians from coast to coast. Are we ready to rock and roll with Thomas Lukasik? All right, let's get him in here. Alberta's former deputy premier and a friend of the. Yeah, see, that's the hair I'm talking talking about Thomas we had to make sure that your video was ready you. <laughs> the video was ready to run. just for you <laughs> yeah well we're, we're sorry to sort of have a bit of a rocky start there but we want to do it right here so a, a good morning to you Thomas I know that you were here for 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 much of Amarjeet Sohi's interview he talked about the the nasty nature of that 2019 election I remember after the 2015 election uh when you were you know I, I think for a lot of people a lot of people were really surprised that, that you were beaten in Edmonton Castle Downs I don't know that people were surprised that the government lost the progressive conservative government but you had been a very popular MLA did anything that Amarjeet said about the feeling of losing an election the experience did that did that take you back five years ago well, it does. You know, it's it's always uh, somewhat personal because there is that personal sense of rejection. Uh, but you're part of a larger team. And when the whole team gets rejected, you get rejected as well. Um, so it's it's frustrating when you hear at the door people saying, well, you know, if you're running for a different party or if you're independent, I'd vote for you. But sorry, I can't support you as, as part of this team. But what do you do? Uh, you know, after that election, you have to you have to regroup. But um, that last election was uh, probably the second one in a row of, of what I would call nasty elections and, and some underhanded moves taking place, um, which, which really took away from the fair playing field. Because historically in Alberta, uh, no matter what side of the ledger winning or losing you were on, uh, Albertans had a sense of satisfaction that uh, elections were fair. Uh, the party that was preferred by majority uh, won. Um, now we have entered an era where there are machinations behind the scenes um, that really do sway the outcomes of elections. And, and, and that's, that should be really problematic uh, to all Albertans. Well, I think that uh, there's a story being reported by the CBC over the weekend, and, and this is why we reached out to you uh, for your comment on this. Glenn Ressler is Alberta's chief electoral officer, and it was noted on Friday in front of an all-party legislative committee that uh, Alberta's UCP government denied the chief electoral officer's request for a four-month extension. 
Uh, it's typically capped at three years, but a four-month extension into the complex investigation uh, into alleged election wrongdoing centering around the 2017 leadership race of the United Conservative Party, the whole alleged kamikaze campaign. Now, it seems unbelievable to people, including me, that a government, a party under investigation would hold the power with regards to the decision uh, whether or not the investigation continues. It's not surprising that a government that may have news to hide might suggest that the investigation should wrap up quietly and immediately. Now, you've served as deputy premier, a longtime cabinet minister. What do you make of what you're seeing here? You know, this isn't unprecedented, but it's the first time it's it's uh, investigated. What we're seeing, um, the moves that were made, and, and we use the term allegedly for, for legal purposes, but as you know, uh, Elections Alberta has already fined more than $300,000 in fines for uh, for virtually cheating in, in elections, uh, in, in the leadership, UCP leadership race and, and subsequent election. Um, what happened in this last leadership race where Jason Kenney won uh, happened once before, and that's when uh, late uh, Jim Prentice ran as well. But not much was made of it then, and and now, uh, thankfully, at least uh, there were investigations that were instigated. So what you have is a situation where the elections officer, um, the commissioner, uh, started an investigation, had reasonable and probable grounds to believe that that fraud occurred, uh, fined in excess of three hundred thousand dollars, and wanted to continue investigating. And Jason Kenney and his UCP MLAs fired him. They dissolved that entire office. So it took a number of months for this investigation to regroup under Elections Alberta. And then COVID hit in. So obviously it delayed the investigation. There is a, a legislative provision that they can only proceed for three years. Uh, and that was put in place to make sure that there aren't ongoing witch hunts. You know, if you, if you can't put your investigation together in three years, odds are... Uh, there isn't anything there, but in this case, uh, it was it was clearly an interrupted co- uh, investigation. Um, all the suspects have lawyered up, and and they're refusing to show up, refusing to speak. So now the commissioner says, in view of all these delays, and in view of the fact that you fired the the lead investigator uh, for obvious reasons, in view of the fact that we have COVID, can we please have four more months to finish this investigation? And Kenny, where he has a majority on the legislative office committee, said, no, you have to stop this investigation. So we may never find out from that perspective what's going on. There also is an RCMP investigation, uh, quite a robust investigation, and and cabinet ministers, uh, MLAs, one member of parliament, a conservative member of parliament, and and several staffers uh, are being uh, looked into. Uh, they also have, uh, from what I understand, lawyered up quite, quite extensively. But interestingly enough, as they're being investigated by RCMP, now we have a justice minister who is going out there and saying we should get rid of RCMP. So what impact does this have on an investigation? You know, 10, 15 years ago, that would have been unthinkable. Um, you would sort of hear this kind of a news from, you know, from Putin's Russia, where, where the president fires investigators and then and police officers were investigating him and his party. But this is happening right under our nose here in Alberta. And, and we, we need to demand from Elections Alberta and from RCMP uh, that those investigations be fully conducted. Ryan, thankfully, uh, I'm understanding that some uh, of the individuals who are being suspected are starting to crack. 
and starting to talk. So maybe maybe we will reach some conclusions. Are you you're, you're saying that that you're receiving sort of off the record type little birdie told you kind of things, or is there something on the record you can share with us? I mean, what do you think is leading well, to people uh, feeling posted, that pressure? I posted yesterday, Ryan, a couple of documents, and this morning one. But yes, you know what I'm finding. Interesting is that actual staffers from Abrella Legislature are starting to release documents and, um, and and individuals who participated in the election fraud. Maybe Albertans need to be reminded what this is really all about is the Kamikaze campaign is, is staging a fake candidate, uh, allegedly, uh, who supposedly ran in the race but was financed and, and, and ran the campaign, was run by Jason Kenney's campaign just to split the vote, just like you mentioned about Mike Nickel and others purposely but the more serious one is is uh, the alleged identity fraud and and it's becoming very clear that uh, there were thousands if not tens of thousands of people who were signed up as UCP members they don't even know about it uh, fake emails were attached to those names uh, to those fake emails pin numbers were sent and then from those pin numbers um uh, votes from voting kiosks were made and, and, and it appears that they were made in favor of, of Kenny. And some of those individuals who were duped or found out that they were duped and signed up uh, are starting to speak up and indicate who did it and who voted on their behalf. So hopefully police is getting enough um, information to, to, uh, to get to the bottom of this. Uh, also on Friday, the, the government, uh, the member dominated committee obviously uh, voted to stall approval of the budget of Alberta's auditor general. Uh, a spokesperson for the auditor, uh, Val Melismon, said uh, this is unusual. It did come as a surprise. Doug Wiley, Alberta's auditor general, had requested uh, just over twenty six million dollars for next year. That's a two and a half percent cut. Uh, from his budget this year, uh, UCP MLA Brad Rutherford, uh, just south of Edmonton, made the request saying he had more questions for the auditor. Of course, the reason that people will will be sitting here going, why, why, what do I remember about Alberta's audit? Why do I remember there was a news headline about this? You remember last month, Alberta's Auditor General identified uh, $1.7 billion in accounting errors in the government's financial statements. Uh, you know, I suppose some people friendly with the government might say, well, you guys are a bunch of conspiracy theorists that are grinding an axe here. But when it's a, one story after another, after another, after another, you have to start wondering, uh, maybe not if, but when it's time to hit the big reset button. So where are you at with all this? And, and what would a sane Albertan that's potentially being subjected to gaslighting right now, wondering if they're the one that's crazy. What should a sane Albertan be focusing on or thinking throughout all of this? You know, Ryan, the problem with sane Albertans, and those are the moms and dads uh, who are homeschooling right now, who, who are busy with, with putting their lives together under COVID and all that, they simply can't grasp all that because a lot of this is, you know, what we call inside baseball. And, and Kenya, and this is quite purposeful, is dumping so much of this stuff every day that, that you're shocked every day and you become immune to it, uh, desensitized to, to it. Normally, in normal times, number of years ago every each instance of this would have been uh, what i would call a fireball offense um so what should albertans do well number one albertans should pick up a phone or email and definitely contact uh, rcmp and elections alberta and ucp mlas and say i don't want you to interfere with investigations those are criminal and, and administrative investigations and and in a country like canada they should be allowed to happen 
you can't have government cheat its way into power and and then shut down all investigations. Uh, this is this is not Russia. This is this is Canada. Uh, one thing, Auditor General. You know, historically, one thing you don't do is is mess with the Auditor General's budget because why would you do that? What what are you hiding? Uh, he did find 1.7 billion dollars of unaccounted expenditures. Um, and, and, but more importantly, especially now, auditors don't only do count dollars and cents. That's, that's a quantitative review, but they also do what's called qualitative reviews. They, they look at processes and how departments work, how government responds to issues and, and, and the work of government. And now, particularly in what is considered to be um, lackluster response to COVID. Uh, our Auditor General, for our own safety and our own lives, in, God forbid another pandemic erupts one day in the future, should be able to do a full review of government's response and, and what lessons can be learned. Uh, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? So at this point in time, Auditor General actually becomes very crucial because he is the independent uh, body that reviews the performance of government, not only from financial perspective, but from administrative perspective. How prepared is government to handle situations like this? Yeah, my thing is just, I mean, I, I just think optically, uh, if you have absolutely nothing to hide, and if you're quite confident that everything you're doing is on the up and up, and it better be if you're the premier of Alberta or if you're the government of the day, uh, you would invest robustly. You'd give the Auditor General what they're asking for, most especially if it's a cut from last year, and you certainly would extend any investigation that you would expect would exonerate you and would clear you of allegations. I, I think optically refusing to extend an investigation into allegations of your malfeasance and potential criminal activity. I mean, I don't know how you're going to sell that to a general public that I would hope would be continuing to ask tough questions. Well, and, and, you know, if you didn't do anything wrong, Ryan, first of all, you would welcome an investigation, as you said, because you want to be cleared. Plus, you wouldn't lawyer up. You know, all these individuals have hired uh, pretty powerful criminal lawyers right now. So so why? You know, if, 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 if I have nothing to hide, I will gladly speak with our CNP. It's my understanding that, that they're not very collaborative either. Uh, with investigators, you know, why, why would you do that? But the problem is that Jason Kenney really doesn't care about optics. You know, this is a premier who, uh, who talks about uh, um, his ill-perceived uh, human rights in the face of people dying and, 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 uh, and, and sort of gaslighting anti-maskers and others. Um, he still is convinced that there's two years till the next elections, and he is uh, convinced that Albertans will not re-elect NDP, and, and he is convinced that he is the only game in town. Um, so perception at this point in time isn't as important to him as it would have been to leaders uh, and premiers in the past. Uh, it's it's no secret that that yourself and and Premier Kenny, th there's no love lost there. Obviously, there was a high profile dust up uh, several years ago where he I've never been able to say this in an interview before, uh, Thomas, but he called you a complete and utter asshole uh, when he was a federal MP. And of course, you were in a position of of uh, great influence, political influence in Alberta at the time. Many people may seek to dismiss your comments here this morning uh, simply as someone who has always had a problem with Jason Kenny and, and vice versa. Uh, 
let me ask you as objectively as possible, uh, based on your 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 14 plus years of experience at the Alberta legislature, including in very senior positions of leadership, as you evaluate how the Alberta government has managed this COVID-19 pandemic, what would you do differently? What do you think is realistic, viable, executable? What would you have done differently? Ryan, yes, he did call me that, and 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 that's not appropriate, obviously. Um, my issue with Jason Kenney isn't personal; it never is. You know, I served under five premiers in Alberta. Some I liked more than the others. Um, I served with many colleagues and and federal government uh, members. Some I liked, some I didn't. But the fact is, you know, this is not about personalities. My issue with Kenny has always been about his. Um, zealous um, policy that's based on some false uh, neoliberal, because it's not conservative uh, ideology and, and, and some strange interpretation of Christianity. And, and just so you know, the time he called me a complete and utter asshole is when I and a group of lawyers who did it pro bono took him to federal court uh, because he was actually deporting a dying worker, injured temporary foreign worker who got hit as she was riding on a bicycle uh, to her job at McDonald's. And all doctors agreed, particularly the ones from Glen Rose Rehabilitation Hospital, that if she gets shipped back to um, Philippines, she will die because they didn't have the medical care that, that she required to, to stay alive. And Kenny said, well, sorry, she's a temporary foreign worker. Lukasik, which part of worker don't you understand? And he signed a deportation order. Uh, we took him to federal court and we won. And guess what? She is here in Edmonton. And I believe she became a psychologist. Uh, she actually graduated from one of our universities. Wow. That's what this was really all about. Now, what would I do differently with COVID? You know what? <laughs> First of all, uh, when you deal with a pandemic, and, and I was in government when we dealt with 9-11, and then we dealt with the floods, you listen to the experts. Because, you know, I'm a teacher by profession and, and, a, and a private sector business person. And, and all of us as MLAs and, and cabinet ministers come in with some form of experience, but not necessarily that experience that is required to deal with an emergency. So when emergency experts tell you that this is what needs to be done, you don't question it, you do it. It is evident right now that the, the advice, the best medical advice that is given by World, World Health Organization, by Dr. Henshaw, uh, is vetted uh, through a cabinet committee uh, and not fully implemented. So, so that, is, that is a willful negligence on behalf of the government just from an implementation perspective. The second problem we have is the playing politics with COVID. You know, it is unthinkable uh, to have a premier come out and suggest that, that Albertans have uh, some uh, right, uh, rights under the, the, the charter uh, not to wear masks or, or to conglomerate and stage protests and, and sort of playing dog whistle politics, trying to support his base um, in there. Um, inconceived ideas. You know, that is, that is simply not only unethical, but it's, it's just unbelievable that a premier would play politics with a situation like this. Now he's sort of for the last couple of days trying to walk it back. You know, what, what a strong premier and premier who has only one goal, and that's the life and uh, lives and safety of Albertans should do, is what Premier Pallister from Manitoba just did right now. He says, hate me right now. 
Uh, I will make sure that you wear masks. I will make sure that you live up to all the uh, medical advice. And then later, I hope that you will respect me for it. This premier wants to make friends on both sides. On one side, he is supporting his base and gaslighting it. And on the other side, he wants to look like a reasonable premier. This is not time for politics. I am certain that Albertans actually would re-elect him if he would say, this is what Dr. Hensha recommended. I may like it or may not like it, but this is the best thing for you. And hence, I'm implementing it. And look, Ryan, obviously, the haphazard restrictions that he placed two weeks ago on Tuesday, it'll be two weeks are not working. We're looking at almost 2,000 cases every day, and the number of people dying is increasing. Um, there really is no excuse for this for this inaction. I called it a five-alarm fire on Twitter over the weekend um, in putting out that this, this has nothing to do with, with politics. It shouldn't have anything to do with politics. I know, Thomas, I'm curious for your insight here. Um, if you're listening to us streaming live on Mixler, uh, or if you're listening to the podcast, we're talking to Alberta's former Deputy Premier Thomas Lukasik. Um, regardless of who you voted for or who you might vote for or whatever, uh, Alberta's numbers are off the charts. And we're, we're hearing people ring the alarm bells, you know, wave red flags on this show. And I'm talking about doctors out of the ICU, infectious disease doctors, emergency room doctors. Uh, I'm not talking about people that don't know what they're talking about. We're going straight to the source and these people are saying we're in trouble and we're going to be in even more trouble in two or three weeks from now. And to me, what drives me nuts is that, you know, people will point out Alberta's a little bit different and, and Alberta does have somewhat of a unique culture. And I'm a proud born and raised Albertan, but you know, and, and by the way, even that qualifier is so messed up. Who even cares? All these dumb, unproductive conversations about who's a real Albertan or a true Albertan or an old stock. I mean, these are ridiculous and unproductive. But the point is, we'll say Albertans would never accept a PST or Albertans won't you know, agree to wear masks or Albertans won't agree to to shut down measures like the rest of the country will. And then we look at our numbers and it's like, well, what the hell is it going to take for us to get on board with pretty plain spoken science based recommendations like wear a mask or potentially hit you know shutdown for a couple of weeks on on businesses thomas you obviously you know had to pursue and then maintain political popularity i mean politicians have to sort of that exercise of job security comes with the territory are albertans that much different from the rest of, of canadians where words like freedom and liberty resonate like 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 the bell with pavlov's dog that, that all of a sudden we ignore things like spiking covid cases and overloaded icus i mean what's going on take us into the psyche you know, it, it, this is a, a mythology. It's, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. We, we tell this story and then somebody retells this story to us and we think that that's how we're being seen by, by other Canadians. The fact is that Albertans are Canadians and, and we care about our parents dying in hospital just like any other Canadian. And we know uh, that we live in a community. Nobody lives on an island and, and we need to do the right thing. Uh, Albertans uh, were, were lucky in a sense because we were born on a piece of real estate that happened to have natural resources underground and, and we were able to live off the avails of that. Yes, it took a lot of work to develop this, but the fact is any natural resource require work uh, to extract. Uh, but unfortunately, 
at those days, uh, not temporarily, but perhaps permanently, uh, maybe waning and, and soon may be over. And, and it's, it's time to look at a different source of revenue, just like any other piece of um, Canada or the world. We're not special. Uh, we like to think we're special, but I'm sure if you go to Nova Scotia, Nova Scotians think that they're special for one reason or another too. But in a time of crisis like this one, and we have, we have a double whammy, we have a pandemic and we have an economic crisis caused by two things, the pandemic and, and um, uh, slump in natural resource revenue. This is a time to lead and, and leaders lead and leaders coalesce followers. Um, leaders show a good example and then once they deliver, uh, they usually gain the support of, uh, of, of even those who are skeptics at that time, at the beginning, saying, you know what, this guy knew what he was talking about. Uh, he persevered and he got us across the, across the divide. This is not time to, to play politics. And, and if Kenya wants to be remembered as a great leader, and I know he's a great fan of, of Winston Churchill, um, he needs to focus on what needs to be done and he needs to do the right things. And, and I hope that in his belly, he knows what the right thing to do is. And, and this is not, uh, not the time uh, to, to play politics. You know, at a time of a pandemic, when, when literally people are dying, you don't wage wars against doctors and nurses. Uh, uh, you don't go on a, on a privatizing scheme. Those may be the right things to do perhaps later, but right now they're distractions. Uh, they demoralize healthcare workers and, and they really make Albertans doubt um, whether our lives and our health are truly important to, to Jason Kenney and this government. So it's never too late to regroup. Look, yes, I am not a fan of this UCP government for a number of reasons, and, and I believe uh, good reasons. But when it comes to the pandemic, I really want Jason Kenney to succeed. And I want him to succeed because I want Albertans to succeed. I don't want to see any more dying Albertans. Uh, and what I'm seeing right now is not a pathway to success. The, the, he still sees politics in it. And for some reason, um, you know, and, and maybe that's just part of his makeup, part of his um, experience that he's always been involved in politics. He doesn't have outside life experience, be it, um, you know, uh, social, family, uh, employment, outside of politics. Um, and to him, you know, when the only, as they say, when the only tool you have is a hammer, Every problem looks like a nail, and to him, everything is political. This is not political. This is a time for leadership, empathy, and allowing the reins to be grabbed by experts, and as a political leader, supporting true experts. Uh, we're talking to Thomas Lukasik. Uh, Thomas, hang tight for a second. I want to ask you about a, a tweet that you put out about a week ago uh, talking about private members, in other words, backbenchers. Uh, and cabinet realized that the boss is out of touch. I, I'm assuming that that's a reference to your former boss, Premier Allison Redford. I want to ask you about that experience in just a second. First, I want to give a shout out to the team at Westworld Computers. We wouldn't be on the air right now. We sure wouldn't be streaming live and we wouldn't be pushing out one of Canada's most listened to podcasts each and every weekday morning without the help of the team at Westworld Computers. For more than 40 years, they've been family owned and putting a great deal of attention, investing their time into the personal relationships they're proud to have with their customers in Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton. If Mac is your thing, if you're looking for what's new that could make your life easier, more seamless when it comes to, well, the tech implementation, whether it's a phone or one of those big 
sexy iMacs on the desktop, Daryl and his team at Westworld Computers have you covered. Now, if it's burgers and ice cream you're looking for, why not check out the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park? Michael and Mark are the two proud owners of those six locations in Y Gardens, Baseline Road, Palisades, and Mayo, Newcastle, and Westmount. Now, we're all... You know, taking our personal measures to stay out of the public sphere, maybe hitting the drive throughs for food or ordering from your favorite delivery app. The Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park are the ones that have always been giving back to the nonprofits, the charities in their communities, and they're proud to support us here at Real Talk. So what more reason do you need to show some love to them? Our thanks to Dairy Queen for their partnership. Thomas Lukasik, former Deputy Premier of Alberta, our guest here into overtime. Can I keep you for 10 more minutes, Thomas? We, we asked for you till Certainly. 10, but I'm not going to cap this conversation. Uh, you tweeted back on December 1st uh, directly to the United Conservative Caucus As someone, quote, who served with five premiers, you say, I've witnessed private members, in other words, backbenchers, and cabinet ministers, in other words, come to a realization that the boss is out of touch and has become a liability. You say, once I had to deliver that message, you say, you're there now. Do what's right for our province. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about former Premier Allison Redford. What are you talking about specifically? Actually, more than one. You know, uh, I was elected in 2001, and by the time 2004 rolled around, uh, there was a a group of MLAs and and key PC party supporters who wanted to get rid of uh, Ralph Klein, and they already had another candidate ready to to take over the leadership. And then later it happened with uh, Ed Stelmach. Uh, There were a few of, uh, I would say, Wild Rose, ultra-conservative, sort of Kenny-style um, cabinet ministers who wanted to get rid of um, Stelmach really badly. And then ultimately, yes, Alison Redford um, was the next one. So what happens is particularly backbenchers. And, and, and what's unique in Kenya's situation is that all previous premiers tried to keep their backbenchers happy, which means they would appoint them to committees and put them out to work and, and, and have them consult with Albertans on a variety of issues. And this way, uh, not only feel as an important member of the team in policy development, but also they would get a little bit more exposure in the community, in the media, which would help them get reelected. Uh, with Jason Kenny, what is really unique is that he, he really doesn't use his MLAs for nothing. Everything is outsourced to consulting companies and, and these guys, other than constituency work, which is important, uh, don't have much input on, on policy development. Um, but by this time, particularly during COVID, um, as MLAs, they must be hearing from their constituents. And I know, uh, because I'm hearing uh, from strong UCP supporters of past who are now having second thoughts uh, about where UCP is heading and, and their ethics and, and other things. Uh, they're hearing it much more than I do. So by this time, um, backbench private member MLAs would start wondering, uh, what am I doing here? Uh, is this uh, the job that I was hoping for? And what are my odds? Most importantly, what are my odds to get reelected in my riding uh, with a premier who has the lowest polling in Canada and it's only going down and seems to be lost his stride, almost out of touch on every issue he touches. So by this time, Ryan, what happens is the backbench MLAs behind the cabinet's back and the premier's back start having little meetings and discussions. Uh, should we cross the floor? Should we threaten to cross the floor? Um, how do we separate ourselves from this negativity? Um, 
you know, we're seeing this for with one uh, member of, of his caucus from Lethbridge. Um, and, and I have a feeling that soon we will be seeing more because, um, you know, we can't paint them all with the same brush. Uh, uh, there are some decent people in that caucus that want to do a good job for their constituents and simply cannot agree uh, with what's happening with this government right now. And now is the time for them to, to make the move. Because what backbenchers often forget is that premier can't be a premier without them. He can't win votes in a house without them. And actually the, the power is in their hands. Each and single one of them uh, will not use that power against the premier. But when there is a larger group and they start noticing that there is enough of them uh, to, to make a difference, um, they will coalesce. And, and I'm certainly hoping that within UCP caucus, um, the common sense and, and the desire to do the right thing for Albertans uh, will prevail. There's such a culture, though, of intimidation, you know, and, and let me just sort of a, a peek behind my curtain. Uh, I'll pull it mm-hmm. back. You know, it's 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 interesting for me and I would never violate the trust of these people. But uh, ministers and, and MLAs, ministers in this government and, and backbench MLAs, several of them, Thomas, uh, I've had uh, conversations with very productive and wonderful conversations. We've, we've gone for drinks or lunch several times. I've, I've had, uh, you know, ministers joke to me that, you know, you know, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, Premier doesn't find out that we're talking or I'm going to get my wrist slapped. Or I, I remember I hosted an event a while back where I took a picture with a cabinet minister, a very prominent cabinet minister who leaned in after and said, you're not going to post that, are you? I mean, what kind of what kind of ridiculous uh, sort of environment has been created here where ministers and MLAs who continue to correspond with me. And like I said, I would never violate their trust. And quite frankly, I appreciate the inside perspective they provide. But they'll tell me to my face, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to do an interview with you, but I would get in so much shit. There's no way I could possibly do it. It wouldn't be worth it to me. And so their silence, uh, their ongoing public silence, uh, in my assessment, perpetuates the reality which they lament, uh, which makes zero sense to me. And at some point, that's got to break. That's got to crack. But they're legitimately afraid, Thomas, of the consequences of speaking with a journalist, with a talk host, uh, which to me is bananas. And it deserves more attention, I think, than it's getting. I agree with you. And, you know, it's interesting because you're in the media, I'm not, and I'm experiencing the same thing. I have current staffers from Alberta legislature and actually, believe it or not, from premier's office, um, sending documents and, and emailing me from private fake accounts and, and, and via social media. Uh, and yet they're scared to do anything in that office and, and speak up. There is a uh, there is a top-down government. Kenny's the only one in his premier's office that's running the show. Uh, notice how few cabinet ministers get any exposure on, on any files. There's about three or four that, that get some and, and usually negative. And, and that's, uh, that's about it. So, and, and media is intimidated, Ryan. You know, let, let, let's be frank. Uh, what happened to you is, is partly uh, related to it. Uh, I had to report a matter as well because fake uh, Twitter accounts... Uh, under my name that deceivingly look real uh, were being set up and, and, and are being traced to individuals who are key operatives within, uh, within UCP party. 
it's a it, it, it's a strange mentality and and you know i don't particularly i considering my background don't don't use those words lightly but these are tactics uh, that i experienced as a young person in communist poland but we see coming out of russia where there will be no opposition if you will speak against our policy or work against policy we will crush you personally professionally uh, or in any any possible way and and this entire lack of of cooperation with with police and and elections alberta investigation where where there there seems to be at least evidence that looks very legitimate actual documents uh, are there witnesses saying what happened and and they're just trying to suppress that investigation time it out um, outspend people with lawyers um, and and somehow this is acceptable in that caucus that's why i'm i'm hoping that there are people in that caucus and now is the time to say you know what this is not who i am uh, this is not conservatism uh, definitely, this is a, a tactic that's used in, in underdeveloped countries, and, and we will simply not govern this way. Let me ask you this question in closing, Thomas. Sure, appreciate your time this morning and, and the candid nature of, of your comments. Uh, several people on either our YouTube thread or on Twitter or even people texting me personally on my phone are curious to know if you would ever have any appetite to re-enter the provincial political arena. And if so, would you do so by seeking the leadership of the Alberta Party? I've asked you this a year ago. I asked you this when Greg Clark left uh, more than a year ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's also sort of that that theme that people are talking about that potentially Alberta might now be a two-party system where where you're either voting for the NDP or you're voting for the United Conservatives. Uh, what's your personal inclination here? What might your personal future look like with regards to politics? I know that your your wife might have something to say about a re-entry. And what do you make of the assertion that Alberta is a two-party landscape moving forward? Yeah, Noel, your wife comment is very accurate. Uh, it would take a lot of convincing. Uh, plus, I, I'm truly enjoying what I'm doing right now. Uh, so, so that would be difficult. I, I left the private sector, my own business that I built up the first time I, I, I ran for office, and, and now to do this second time would be would be difficult to do. Um, you know, a two-party system is not a good system, and we see this we see this in the United States. It's very polarizing. Uh, but at this point in time, an introduction of a third party uh, would frankly be problematic because um, it, would, it would split the center-center-left vote and, and give Kenny even an easier ride uh, into a next term. Um, what I am hoping for is that the NDP uh, reconsiders uh, its, its place on the spectrum uh, somewhat further and, uh, and opens itself up uh, to some more conservative, um, perhaps progressive conservatives uh, to, to influence their policies and, and influence their structure. And, uh, and maybe for, uh, for the next election, having a two-party election wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be a bad thing. Um, Alberta Party, uh, I think, is made up of, of, of great people. Uh, I really admire Jackie Fenske. She's working so hard. Um, but putting together a new party uh, particularly midterm is is it could could cause more damage um, than good at this point in time. So uh, at this point in time, I, with with great deal of lament, I, I think uh, a two party system may be the best that that we may have. Uh, or you know maybe maybe there is hope that that internally, as I said earlier, backbenchers and some well intended UCP supporters will say enough is enough. This is not what we supported. Um, we're going to to change the UCP party, but 
uh, I'm not optimistic. I mean, that would be a that would be as dramatic an overhaul uh, to flush out. I mean, you, you'd be you'd be talking about reinventing the party from the ground up. I'm not, I'm not sure the tone would change that drastically if 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 Jason Kenny were to be run out and Jason Nixon becomes the leader. Right. Or like, I, I know there is a there is a certain sense of fundamentalism that's already built into this party. And yeah, the parties are, are no different than than human beings. There's a certain DNA uh, that a party acquires and it's very difficult to change. So if we're looking at changing parties, I think it would be easier to change the NDP party into a, even more of a mainstream party. Although, you know, I know many hardcore NDPers who are unhappy with Rachel Notley because they thought that she became too conservative. Totally. Uh, but the truth is that, that she frankly ran a fairly centrist party when she became a premier. Um, but she did extricate all previous progressive conservatives. Uh, um, she didn't trust us PCers uh, in her first term and, and didn't absorb any of that. Uh, I think... Um, if she was to open herself up to 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 be influenced and and to um, to let into her ranks uh, some progressive conservatives, um, I think we could achieve uh, maybe even under a different name and brand um, a center center left party. Um, as Albertans always said, that that is fiscally responsible, uh, does the right things uh, with our budget, but has some sense of compassion and humanity. Um, and, and sense of dignity and, 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 and sort of natural righteousness that comes with being Canadian. Um, it doesn't, you know, being, being a good person doesn't come from religion. It just comes from uh, being a good member of a community that, that knows what the role of a government is. And the fact is that we need government because there are people who out there who need a hand up. And in times of disaster, uh, we need a government that coordinates all of our efforts. And yes, we have to give up certain rights. Um, but I tell you, um, I, I don't want to have uh, a tombstone at a graveyard saying, uh, you know, he died of COVID, but boy, did he ever uh, stick to his rights. Uh, I don't think that that should be the goal of getting government. Donna's listening in this morning. She says, it's so good to hear from Thomas uh, today. Reasoned speaks from experience and brutally honest. And um, we're also hearing from longtime Edmonton broadcaster and event host, Stacey Brotzel, who unfortunately has hashtagged the wife says, and Thomas, the verdict is no, you will not be seeking the leadership of the Alberta party, but we do thank you for your, we do appreciate your availability here on the show this morning. Thanks for the insight. I mean, you've been in these meetings, you've served in cabinet for many years, you get the mechanism of government and we're grateful for you sort of spelling it out for those of us that haven't been in those halls of power. Wish you a great week. Ryan, and I wish you a great show. It's amazing what you're doing. And I have to tell you as a, as a friend and longtime listener, uh, I wish you all good luck. This is the right thing to do, and 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 you're making our society better for it. This well, thanks, awesome. Thomas. I appreciate those kind words. Thanks very much, and we'll talk to you again. Uh, that's Thomas Lukasik for 14 years, the MLA uh, for Edmonton Castle Downs. Of course, held many ministries, uh, Minister of Education, Minister of Advanced Education, and others, um, and uh, a ton of experience as well as Alberta's Deputy Premier. Uh, the comments on our uh, YouTube thread keep coming. We appreciate those. Chad says the fact that the Premier Kenny hasn't appointed a Deputy Premier uh, is incredibly telling uh, of his trust in the rest of his party. He's a micromanager. Um, Fish, 
tuned in. I love fish. Make sure you read Fish Gurkowski in the Edmonton Journal says this has been excellent insight from Thomas about Poland and Russia. Uh, I love these comments. Hey, can I just say, Sam, we might as well lay out to people with with regards to so so people are tuning in live as we get set to wrap the show here. Um, you can watch us live on YouTube. Um, but also we know that many people will watch this YouTube broadcast later in the day and they may be wondering why at the beginning of the file there's you know two or three minutes of our slate we call it which says real talk starts soon and then they hear Ayla Brooke and the Soundman, which is our house band we're so lucky why why can you explain to the folks why we have two or three minutes of slate at the beginning of our show yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, I think uh, building an independent production like this, um, there's a lot of trade-offs. There's a lot totally. of Totally. You know what I mean? And and the trade-off that we get, and this is just purely the restrictions of YouTube, is that um, if we clip our broadcast, if we trim that beginning minute off, which we, we put there to give people a chance to gather, a chance to log yeah. into the stream, uh, we literally have the good morning conversations happening in the, ch- yeah. in the chat before we even go on I air, which is awesome, I love that. It's right? a community gathering. So the trade-off is if we were to snip that off, we would not be able to replay the YouTube chat. So in other words, just an annoying restriction we have to deal with. So we don't, they call it the top and the tail of a broadcast, the beginning and the end. The reason why we have it streaming for a few minutes, you're you're watching later in the day, you go, why do they have three minutes of music playing? It's so we can keep the comments there. So as you're watching later in the day, you can be reading what the people were saying as they were watching it live. And this is part of uh, just another stamp that Sam has put on this show, and we're so grateful to have you doing everything that you're doing. Uh, did you, you? We're watching the news here in studio. Interesting to see the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, has just a, a addressed the nation, uh, noting that deal with Pfizer around that vaccine. Canada uh, signed that deal with Pfizer that'll uh, provide 20 million doses of the vaccine. The, the first run of those should be available, says Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, 250,000 of those vaccines by the end of this year. So we're talking in the next three weeks or so, there'll be 14 different districts distribution sites and this is a story that we'll uh, continue to cover tomorrow before we sign off wanted to show some love to the team at clean air club you know that obviously sam and i were very aware as we were building this studio that we were doing so in a covid era and air purification clean air just a healthy environment was more important to us now even than it would have been before and that's saying something so we consulted with the team at clean air club and that and that's when i learned a little bit more about what they're doing for businesses and residential properties you know a big part of what they're doing comes down to furnace filters so whether it's just dust in the air whether it's pet dander or whether it's anything else i know we start to think about this and we kind of get the heebie-jeebies right we don't like to think about breathing this stuff in but the fact of the matter is we do and well it's always been up to us to maintain our furnace filters right to make sure they're cleaned and swapped out but we're lousy at it right most of us are anyway it's the last thing on the to-do list and we stare at it for like a month until Oh my gosh, we realize that we're way overdue. At cleanairclub.ca, you get all set up and then they handle the rest. They make sure you get the right size of filter. They drop them off at your home along with a special gift for their loyal subscribers. It's a local company and it couldn't be easier. Clean air has never been so important. So check out cleanairclub.ca or you can find the link to their website under the sponsors tab at Ryan Jesperson. We covered a lot of ground today, Sam, and we left a ton on the table. I mean, I asked you to pull video of that anti-mask rally in Edmonton. You want to do you have that locked and loaded? You want to just load this up and we can chat about it for a quick second? This is one of the things and we're seeing these rallies. Just go ahead and roll it, Sam. And uh, these are one of the rallies. This was uh, Mick Ozzie. He's hilarious, by the way. Why don't we listen to him behind the camera here? 
Luckily, there's only about 70 or 80 dumb T-Nucks here in Edmonton. Maybe I shouldn't even be doing this, but I had to come. I wish they'd get arrested. They should be arrested. Fine. No, just fine them all. Fine them all a thousand bucks and find the organiser lots. Because they're breaking the rules. Look, they're spreading it right now. They're spreading it right, right now. So that's, 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 that's Mick. I mean, there's nothing funny about the the rally as far as I'm concerned, but that's Mick Ozzy who posted that on Twitter. These anti-mask rallies are quite frankly, absolutely infuriating. Yeah, I, I don't have something to say other than, yes, they are absolutely infuriating. Like, are you looking for a contrary take here? I don't have one. They're absolutely infuriating. No, I'm, I'm just looking for real talk. <laughs> that's his real talk. I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Maybe that's a sign that we should wrap today's broadcast. Look, we're all of a sudden at two hours. Should we just make the show two hours? We might as well just say the show is two hours. Sam and I will consult, and we'll let you know what we determine tomorrow. In the meantime, we thank you for tuning in. Tell your friends about today's episode and and make sure you share it and we'll see you tomorrow again at 8 30 mountain time